Hey guys, Alex Lokes here and welcome back to Classic Camera Revival. 2020 has been the year to keep your distance and honestly there are a lot of people in this world that I do want to just stay away. <laughs> Far away. So it only makes sense that to be able to uh, get those uh, lovely close-up shots of the friends and families that you love, you need a telephoto lens. So today we are going to be talking about those lenses that we like that are 100 millimeters and up. Let's go. Welcome to the Classic Camera Revival, coming to you from the Greater Toronto Hamilton region of Ontario, Canada. If you don't have gear acquisition syndrome now, you most likely will by the end of the episode. Okay, so let's start with the only medium format telephoto that we have on our list today. And John has been really rocking um, this beautiful lens on his uh, Hasselblad. Thanks, Alex. So I'm going to be talking about the uh, 250mm f5.6 Zeiss Sonar. And I have the oldest version, it's the C, although the, it... Um, the lens was made in various formats from uh, 1967 all the way up to 2013. And even though it was built then, the design is pretty ancient. It's, uh, it was designed in 1931. It only has four elements. So it is a simple design, but uh, simple can be good because from an, a purely optical point of view, Hasselblad kept this lens as it was throughout its... Uh, it's production run. The only thing that changed were some of the, uh, you know, going from a C to a CF. You know, they changed the shutter in the new in the in the later ones, and the coating was, uh, of course, you had the T, the C's don't have the T star coating, the newer ones do. But the thing is, with lens like this, because it is so simple, you know, only four elements, not a whole lot of you know air lens boundaries to worry about. You're not really giving up a whole lot with the with the older uh, C version. As always, use a lens hood. And so the good thing about this lens is, I'm not going to say it's an ugly duckling, but it tends to get sort of lost in the shuffle. Like everyone loves to talk about, you know, their 80 planar, or like the 50 distagon, or like the 40, and people just tend to sort of forget about this one. So one uh, one positive benefit of that is that this by Hasselblad standards, uh, this is an affordable lens. You can get, uh, like I, I took a quick look last night on, on Fleabay, and you could get very nice examples for 300 Canadian and under. So 300 Canadian, that's about, so about 57 cents US. So uh, you know, it, is a, uh, it is a bargain. The thing I like about this lens is that it works beautifully wide open. In fact, if you go to the Hasselblad website, they have a, uh, a set of pages about their historical lenses, like the, the, the ones they don't make anymore, and they say this one is corrected so that you don't really have to stop down. The only thing that changes is that there's a bit less fall off as you, uh, as you stop down. But for the way, the way I use this lens, I want the fall off. That is not a bug. That's a feature. Give, <laughs> give me my vignette. I want yep. my, my, my vignetting. So it's a beautiful lens for head and shoulders portraiture because the 80 does not focus closely enough for no. proper head and shoulders. 
I have the 150, but I just never bonded with it. But as soon as I put the 250 on my camera, I said, okay, I'm home. This is my lens. And because you can shoot it wide open, it also allows the possibility of, uh, of hand-holding. Mm. Mm. If you have sufficiently fast film, like I, you really want to be shooting this at 250, 500 is better. Yep. But heck, throw some 400-speed film in there, or heck, on a day like today almost anything and as long as you're at 250 or better wide open you'll love the results yeah i also love the narrow depth of field if you want to throw that background out of focus for a portrait it's uh super easy it's super super easy now i said that it's funny like this is a controversial lens not that there's ever any controversy in the hobby of film photography like no not at all not whatsoever there are people who say, who've almost had this lens as a dog, oh, it's not very sharp. These are people who have, like there's another um, Hasselblad lens, the uh, Supra Chromat 250, which um, costs four or five times what this costs. And yes, that one is so sharp, it'll slice your eyeballs. And maybe the people who buy that one want to justify the fact that they spent so much money. But for a portrait, a portrait lens, this is... This is plenty sharp enough. It has a beautiful, uh, organic kind of look to it. I just love the way it feels. Now, this is not a horribly light lens, but you know, I, I think it weighs, but the one I have weighs about a kilo. But boys and girls, this is a Hasselblad. You made your choices. You know, buy the truss for your back, make the therapy appointments, find a chiropractor who's into film photography, and you'll be all set. So if, if you don't mind lugging around the uh, the lightweight, great lens. It's also, I, it, I think it's a pretty lens too. I, I like mm. the way, I like the finish on the old C lenses. It just, everything about it says preci- precision and longevity. This is about the most non-plastic lens I have. So again, if you have a, a Hasselblad and uh, 300 bucks or less to spare, I'd say go for it. Definitely. And uh, certainly when I get my uh, Hasselblad repaired, that's going to be my telephoto lens. Good that choice. I'll, uh, that I'll add to my collection. And yes, the Hasselblad repair is happening in the new year. Okay, moving on. Um, we have a lens that needs no introduction. It has been talked about. It is known around almost all photography circles. And that is, of course, the iconic 105 2.5 from Nikon. Yes, the Nikkor 105.25. It has been around since uh, almost the beginning of the Nikon F and Nikromat. It has stayed in their manual focus lineup, I think, probably all the way up to the autofocus era. So this is considered one of Nikon's best lenses. Like after the AIS 28 2.8, or even better than the 28 2.8 AIS, you're splitting hairs. Now, now, this lens has had a couple of different variations over the years. Uh, we're going to start with uh, it's a little bit of history. It started off as the Nikkor P105 2.5. It had the metal scalloped outer focusing, whatever you want to call it. 
it was a sonar design. So it was a um, five elements in three groups. And it was a sharp bit of glass. Now, over time, uh, as the 60s went into the early 70s, Nikon got into coatings, their lenses with more than one lens coat. So if you came across a PC, then it denotes that it has a multiple lens coating on the front element. It sort of made it better. Now... Again, same performance, uh, and again, the classic sonar design. So it, you get that lovely look that you would probably see from the Hasselblad. Now, somewhere along the way, in the mid-1970s, a lot things were evolving along in terms of camera technology. Nikon was sort of refreshing their camera lineup a little bit. The F was discontinued. The F2 is the de facto pro body. The Nikkermat FTN was discontinued. The FT2 came out. Uh, so they decided to start refreshing their lens line. So you've had the sort of, uh, the lenses that had the little letters on them, like the H, the Q, the P that disappeared. Cause again, all the lenses came with a multi multi coating and they called it the K design. So what's the difference? K design lenses have sort of the rubber grip instead of the metal scallops. So Along the way, Nikon decided, yes, we're going to do a total overhaul of our line. And in case of the 105 2.5 local length, they went from the classic sonar design to a Zenitar formula, which is basically five elements in four groups. So these K-series optical formulas sort of carried all the way through into the AIS era. And the AI, layer, the AI lens uh, is, dimensionally, it's a little bit bigger than the AIS lens. And it also comes with, a, you need sort of the accessory uh, lens hood. You can get away with the old school Nikkor P lens hood. If you had more than one and you just want to use one lens hood, you can screw it into your um, filter ring and you're good to go. Uh, as far as performance, now why the switch from the sonar to Zenitar? Like Nikon wanted to deal with some chromatic aberrations that were popping up in the sonar design, and yep. they said, "Yeah, we're going to tinker with this a bit." Now, if you're looking for more of a character lens, and yeah, go for the P. Now, if you're looking for the all-around performer, and, and and when the '80s rolled around, Nikon started tinkering around with the FA, and they wanted to do matrix meeting. So, they, of course, they added a little extra divot to the back of the lens mount, so it became the AIS mounts. They kept the optical formula, but they've kind of rejigged the outer packaging. Mm -hmm. So, it came with an integrated lens hood. But the downside was, and I've sort of found that the AI version of that lens is better constructed than the AIS. It's kind of splitting hairs, but they're, they're all metal. They can take they're it, all metal. But. They can take it, but I just it's it's just sort of anecdotally. It's sort of like, uh, and again, the the lens coatings did evolve over time. But if you're looking for that sweet spot, uh, the AI 105.25 is that one lens that can carry you basically all the way through from using on your old Nikkermat FTN or your Nikon F all the way into the 1980s with your FM2. Uh, or even onto your F90 or F90X autofocus camera, provided you set that meter to center-weighted metering, you're good to go. Yep. And other than that, it, for, for, for portraiture, that's what it was known for. Like that focal length captured the Afghan girl by Steve McCurry. That's right. Uh, you can also use it for landscape photography if you're looking to focus in on something from a mm -hmm. distance. Like, again, a good example is like what you were doing with the Welland Canal and you yep. can't quite get close enough, but you don't feel like lugging an 80 to 200 telephoto lens with you. So <laughs> the 105 might help you there. 
it was a favorite lens of my dad. He had uh, the the P version, the Nikkor P version from the late '60s, and uh, that did a lot of family photos over the years. Oh yeah, no, I have the AIS version, and I have the modern um, 105 f2 D as well with the uh, defocus control. So it's Ooh. yeah, great lens. I can believe it. <laughs> well, sticking with Nikon and uh, the longest lens we have today. James, are you compensating? Wow, I, I feel um, I should address that <laughs> <laughs> or brag about it. You compensating <laughs> for something there? <laughs> of course, <laughs> aren't we all? <laughs> um, so this is the uh, Nikon um, AF uh, 200 micro Nikkor F4D lens. Um, this is the um, how can I put this? This is the if you shoot bugs. This is the lens you want. Uh, this is the quintessential bug shooter lens. Um, it's a it's a macro lens for some reason. Uh, Nikon refers to their lenses as Nikkor lenses and macro as micro. But um, uh, more on that later. But uh, this lens was uh, introduced in um, December 1993. Um, arguably, I would say this is the sharpest lens Nikon has ever uh, produced. Uh, for use either as a general telephoto lens, um, and again, you know, the dream setup for a uh, a bug photographer. Um, and I think in the Nikon lineup, like even you probably are not going to see a lens this sharp until you get into those ridiculously expensive six, seven thousand uh, dollar, you know, big gigantic super lenses like you know the two hundred, three hundred. Uh, two eights and f4s and, and, the, and the, the big huge lenses that they use for sports photography um, don't confuse this lens um, with with another lens uh, another 200 millimeter f4 uh, micro that they manufactured from 78 to 2005 this lens was started in 1993 the 78 to 2005 was a manual focus um, f4 um, had nine elements in about six groups. Um, a really good, like, one-finger internal con- um, focus control lock. It was a very good lens. Um, unlike this lens, which is a one-to-one um, reproduction ratio, that other lens got down to 1.2, and it had inferior optics. So um, if you are, if you do see it, um, don't confuse the two if you're really after the sort of prize um, 200 uh, um, micro lens. So it's the one from 1993 that you want. Um, this is, this one was, uh, it's actually still in production today. Um, even after, um, 15 years in the market, um, you know, they, they still continue to, uh, to sell them and they, they were looking at changing it, um, uh, in 2009 and they, and they just, they, they never changed it. Um, you know, you can use it for, um, uh, obviously for, for macro work, but it's also a really good, um, uh, general use telephoto lens um nikon made about twelve thousand of these lenses in in 15 years um uh, so i think i misspoke in 2009 they actually stopped uh, production of this lens so um it, it is not actually made anymore today but and, and the inferior ones they made about forty thousand of them um in terms of compatibility with all the older nikon um, cameras you can pretty much use this with uh any film camera um, since 1977, um, you can actually have the aperture ring. You can actually have Nikon install uh, one of the rabbit ears or the uh, aperture coupling devices on there, and it'll work with a with a Nikon F. 
um, with the appropriate head. The only one camera that um, Nikon claims that you should not use this lens on uh, because... Uh, uh, or at least in um, in manual focus mode, because it'll actually damage the camera, is the N2020 or the N5, which is basically an N501 as well. So uh, if you do have one of those cameras and you want to use this lens on it, um, do not use it in manual focus mode, which kind of defeats the purpose if you are shooting macro. I prefer to shoot macro uh, in manual focus mode. I will set it to autofocus just because, just to let it sort of get in the zone there, and it, it does take a long time. Uh, when you consider the amount of glass that's inside of this lens, and we'll talk about that in a minute, it's got quite a ways uh, to travel. It's completely... Um, uh, internal uh, internal focus as well. So the good thing is is the uh, it doesn't actually uh, the the front elements don't actually move outside of the lens, and it's really geared uh, for macro shooters and manual focusing. The focus ring, if you see the focus ring on this camera, um, it is gigantic. So uh, it's about. I'm going to say three and a half inches wide. You know, so much for having the long lens with only a three and a half inch um, focus ring. That's girth, baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's what matters, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, you know what? Like like most uh, macro lenses, it covers a huge range of focus. Um, uh, again, it's not going to be the fastest autofocus lens. It's the old school autofocus that relies on the screw in the body. So, you know, if you are shooting it on a digital camera like a D40, D60, etc., it's not going to autofocus on one of those cameras. Right. Albeit the autofocus being slow, it's dead on balls accurate. I have never seen an autofocus get that that mm. good but um you know what and it, it, it is really good and especially when you use it on a modern nikon body like i shoot it with my f6 quite a lot and i still have a d4 and though the autofocus on those cameras are, are just un, unbeatable beat. so it, it, it's really really good um you can hand hold it um with the with the big huge uh, focus ring but when you're getting into um macro photography i tend to do that on a tripod i yep. won't i won't uh, autofocus it uh Again, it is one of the sharpest lenses, like, you know, corner to corner, just there is no uh, soft areas on the lens. And that doesn't make it the most ideal for portraits. Um, right. the, the bokeh on the lens is, is probably poor at best, I would say. Um, you know, both at f4 and f8, um, it's really designed for crazy, crazy sharpness. Yeah. Um, so you're not gonna, you know, you're not gonna want to shoot uh, too many portraits with it. But you know, if you're gonna shoot architecture or like a, just a general kind of walk around telephoto, you're not shooting portraits that people are paying money for. Um, you know, I probably wouldn't wouldn't use it for for that kind of work. I would uh, stick with uh, mostly macro for it. You know what? Exceptionally well constructed lens. It's um, completely internal focusing. Um, it's a D lens, which means that it tells the camera the distance to the subject, which uh, helps the um, uh, meter uh, compensate yep. um, as well. Uh, ED uh, glass, so it's, that's the extra low dispersion glass for um, reduced um, uh, any lateral, it reduces any lateral color fringes. And I have shot this both with film and uh, sli with slide film and on um, uh, w in a digital camera as well. And I've never seen a lens with absolutely like, zoomed in, you know, three, four hundred percent zoom in on digital. There is no 
uh, there's no color fringing on it. it yeah. I just don't. I don't know what they did with these optics, um, but they just went bananas at Nikon. Like some genius built this thing. I have no idea how they got it so good. Um, <laughs> and chances are they lost money, and every one of them they sold. Uh, probably. Like I think what new um, they were going uh, around four thousand new, and today's price is about fifteen hundred U.S. Just under fifteen hundred U.S. is is a is a typical yeah. price, but that uh, coupled with kind of the COVID sort of dip, like I checked the prices in the spring um, and they were down a bit. So maybe they're maybe 1600 us, 1700 us. Now yeah. um, I got nice. a, I got mine for a steal. I, I got it for 1200 bucks. A down nice. camera brand nice. box uh, case, everything. It's pristine. <laughs> so I got really lucky. Um, you know, considering the sharpness and the clarity of this lens, You'd be surprised to know there are 13 elements in eight groups in this lens. That's a ton of glass to move in this gigantic lens. And, and I mean, it's, um, if, you, if you jog with this thing, you'll lose more weight. With, you know, it's, awesome. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a good lens. And it's got uh, close-range cor- uh, correction, which means um, uh, you can essentially kind of, f- it, it's an optimized design that allows you to focus essentially at any distance, and it really works you know, uh, multi-coated with the with the Nikon um, super integrated coating. You know, just a good, terrific. Oh, what's the magnification ratio on it? It's is one it, to it's one. One to one. Okay. So it is a cool. true macro lens. Nice. One to one um, uh, at around um, uh, like ten feet. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Or uh, sorry, uh, ten inches rather, ten feet. My mm-hmm. God, um, around 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 ten inches is where you're going to get the one to one magnification. Being a macro lens, it automatically adjusts the diaphragm uh, based right. on, on the on the focal length. So it's not going to be um, like an f four all the way through, like how you you know like a non macro lens, you would have the steady right. uh, constant uh, aperture. But being a macro, uh, it does adjust um, the diaphragm uh, nice. uh, automatically. Cool. And you know, in terms of aperture, it's f four to f thirty two, um, so you know you can you can close it down really tight if you're, uh, if mm-hmm. you're shooting bugs and you want to you want to you know make sure uh, everything's in focus. Yeah, really good depth of field. So very little distortion, if any at all. I, nothing visible that I could see. I, yep. You know, you could probably get some lens nerd out there that would find some. Um, but hey, if that's what floats your boat, go for it. <laughs> um, fall off is minor and. And basically, uh, at f four, you'll see a tiny bit of fall off. Um, but again, it's not a portrait lens, so who really cares? Who cares? Um, you know, once you you know one stop down, like at five six, there's really no yep. fall off at all. So um, again, it is kind of the Cadillac of, of macro lenses. If you are um, if macro is a passion of yours, and you're in the Nikon system, this is the lens that you want. <laughs> I, and I hardly use it, but I, I just I can't get rid of it. No, you know, not at the pr- that price. Yeah. <laughs> well, just to prove that we're not all Nikon fanboys here. What? Um, <laughs> Who hey, said that? Uh, some people complain that we talk too much about Nikon. Yeah. Ah well. Bite me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have um, a macro lens as well. I actually got this because I wanted a short telephoto prime for my um, Maxim. Maxim 9. So I had shot um, James McFarlane's version of this. Now, I was originally looking for the Minolta 135mm f2.8 lens, but that thing's expensive. 
A lot of the faster primes in short telephotos for Minolta's are fairly expensive. So I actually managed to get this for about $100. So it's... An, of course you did. A downtown, um, Burlington camera. <laughs> wow, that's, that's yeah. so, better pricing than downtown camera. Absolutely. We love you, Joan. <laughs> and for the longest time, I never actually used the uh, macro feature though on it. Now, like the Nikon one, this is a true macro lens, so it's one-to-one, and it just does an absolutely fantastic job. I wrote a review on this and actually tested out the, uh, the macro functionality of it and turned out to be excellent. Now, there are actually three versions of this lens out here. I have the original one that came out with the um, Maxim 7000. So this is part of the original A-mount lineup. They released an update in the 90s that added a um, added some features to it, but people don't really like that one. And then the current one, so this lens and its configuration hasn't changed and is even still today produced by Sony for uh, their um, digital SLRs, which use the Minolta A-mount. So you don't have to buy the new one. And actually, there are a lot of people who much prefer the original one because it is made primarily of metal. So the actual lens barrel itself is still made of metal. And what's nice is it does have a focus limiting switch. So if you are using it as a portrait lens, you can actually limit the focus so that it's either completely in the close focus mode or in the um, in more of a portrait range, and um, optically it's it's pretty good. There is a lens hood for it. I don't have it with mine because again I'm shooting mostly for street photography and stuff. So the actual front element is fairly deep into the front barrel. It only starts extending when you get into the macro mode. There is a bit of fall off when you're at f two point eight, um, but as soon as you get down to like f4 f5.6 it goes away no distortion at all none that i can see overall just a really great lens if you're looking for that short telephoto lens to add to your a mount system you really can't go wrong with this and the original one fairly inexpensive on the used market well that covers it for today um, we will be back next month with two more remote episodes and we actually have two fairly well-known youtube personalities joining us we're going to be joined by ali again who you remember from one of our solo episodes with uh, bill smith and also jess hobbs will be joining us so uh, that's it for me my name's alex loke saying sometimes just keep two meters away and use a telephoto it's bill smith and as the old police song goes don't stand so close to me <laughs> This is John Meadows, and a uh, reminder that with long lenses, use a hood, because to go without hood, that practice is circumscribed. (laughs) (laughs) How am I supposed to follow that? My God, just get out there and shoot some film. And then James... Or digital, if that's your jam. (laughs) Wow. I had something really sick and perverted to say, too.